0: Amen, right? I did not ever uh, come to an understanding of sermon writing as my colleagues in seminary did or even my own family. There's lots of ways to start a sermon. There's the thematic one where people write a sermon series and they they focus in on one word or an idea and they they create five to six sermons and they preach in that thematic sermon. I, I just... Never can stay focused long enough to do that for six weeks. There's the other way that there's uh, people will focus in on a lectionary-based way of teaching. And a lectionary, for those of you that don't know, is a way of reading the Bible in three years. It, it's, a, it's an ancient practice. I say ancient because it's several hundred years old. And the idea is that uh, you, you read these sections. And in our other faith traditions, our other Christian faith traditions... They read a Hebrew Bible scripture, a New Testament scripture, a Psalms, and, and something else every week. There's usually four to five passages of scripture each week. Now, everybody always asks me, what's a, the best way to do a Bible study? And and I always encourage them to go to Google and read the lectionary text for that day. It's fun. Uh, I mean, you get to go through the whole Bible, and you, you get to do it within three years. And it's not like... Taking a, It's not like a, you're, you're eating an elephant all in one bite. You, you get to have bits and pieces throughout the three-year process. I don't ever encourage people to start with the book of Genesis and just keep reading till you get to Revelation. You get to about Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you start to freak out. And it's not as bad as that until you get to Numbers. And then you get to the book of Joshua and you're like, okay, I'm out. And so I always try to encourage people to look at things in the lectionary text. Now, there are lectionary texts for every Sunday, and I usually preach from that. Then there's the third way of preaching, where you, you, you don't do the lectionary, you don't do uh, the, the, the sermon series, you, you do just what comes to your heart, or uh, what I typically do, which is kind of expository preaching. I, I have a sermon, I've written down some outline notes, I've, I've studied it a lot, and then here we go. I decided not to do that either. I thought that would be important for us is that during this Advent season that we would talk a lot more about the Advent candle and why each of these days matters. I mean, the day, today is the, 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 the season for peace, right? It's, it's important for us to have this conversation. It's, it's a journey, you see. Advent doesn't start and end in the, in the blink of an eye. You start it, and you, you start reading, and there's all this pomp and circumstance that leads us to Christmas Eve. And it's beautiful. You have this candlelight communion service, and we all leave singing Silent Night, and it's awesome. So, in the, in the aspect of this, I, I decided different scriptures for this, this today, because... Peace is uh, kind of a weird thing in in the Bible. Their understanding of peace and our understanding of peace globally, economically, even anthropologically have totally different meanings. As I look around in our sanctuary and even in my Sunday school class, we have multiple generations of people that when I say the word peace, we automatically tie it to war. At At this moment, we're in peace or in this moment they're at peace sometimes we tie the word peace to to people that we're in conflict with and maybe it's with our family or maybe it's with our friends some of us are even tying it to the 60s and 70s when people would be going peace but in the in the bible in the bible the the scriptures about peace are beautiful and i wanted to share them with you this morning In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, which is one of the passages of Scripture that we typically use during Advent, it's where the prophet Isaiah foretells the coming of a child who will be called the Prince of Peace. Now, academically, we tend to believe that that Prince of Peace that Isaiah is talking about happens to be a prince that's a a prince of Assyria that historically in the year between 700 and 740 BCE, they gave peace to their slaves for just a brief period of time, and that this coming was that. But over time, we have continued to reinterpret or re-diagnose this passage of scripture when it says these words, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now as a old opera singer, this is one of the top ten passages of scripture because Handel writes this in such a way that is beautiful in Messiah. It's the big bombastic pieces. It's where a baritone or a bass gets to go, this big bombastic part. It's the loudest part of Messiah next to the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, if we skip ahead and we go to Luke chapter 2, which is also the passage of Scripture that we attribute to peace, which we talked about in our children's sermon, where the angels announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, it sounds like this. It said in, in chapter 2, verse 8 through 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. And then you can't go wrong with the gospel of John. Chapter 14, verse 27 when Jesus speaks directly to his disciples and says these words, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Now, think about that for just a minute that, that concept of peace. As I already alluded to in my children's message, the word shalom is typically translated as the word peace. But for the Hebrew culture and the time of Jesus, shalom was a noun, it was a verb, and it was an adjective. It's something that they lived out. It's the, the greeting that they said as they were coming in, and it's the greeting as they said as they were going out. The peace of God be with you. And usually the response was, and, and with you also, or and also with you. You see, we've grown up with it our whole lives and didn't even know that it came from this word, Shalom. It's a, the, the, it's, it's, it goes beyond a mere absence of conflict. The word itself is a, is a rich tapestry that includes completeness and soundness and well-being. It's the kind of peace that Jesus, our Prince of Peace, graciously brings into our lives, a peace that is whole healing, and the part that we're super uncomfortable with is it's transformative. In our chaotic world, the term peace falls short of capturing the depth of the biblical meaning. You see, shalom speaks to a holistic peace, one that mends the broken. It restores the weary, and it brings about a state of well-being. It's more than a quiet after a storm. It's the active presence of completeness and soundness in every aspect of our lives.
1: But we live in a world of broken peace. We can't avoid it.
0: Have since Cain killed Abel. We look around the world, around us, and it is evident that we grapple with a fractured and fleeting peace We see wars raging on and social unrest and reverberates and personal struggles cast shadows upon our existence. We have more people that are struggling with anxiety and depression and strife and they have become and recognize that those things are unwelcome companions and yet we choose not to pay attention to it. We pretend that mental illness is not a real thing. These are the telltale signs of a peace that the world offers, a peace that no matter how desperately sought remains elusive and incapable of enduring. We think about how the nations wrestle with one another, leaving destruction and heartache in their wake. Social unrest echoes through the street, crying for justice amid systemic inequalities. We face personal struggles, broken relationships, financial hardships. You know, as I've continued to do my research, it's, I've been focusing specifically on rural congregations in the state of Oklahoma. And You know, there's moments that it brings me joy, and then there's moments that it just breaks my heart in a million pieces. In Oklahoma, 75%, 75% of Oklahomans... Live not paycheck to paycheck. It's a paycheck and a half away from going completely broke and destitute. I want you to think about what that means. We're talking about generations of people that have nothing set in savings, not even for retirement. They can barely make the bills meet. They pray to God every single day and they work as hard as they possibly can. And yet the world looks at them and says, well, if you just try harder, we're so sorry that you're, you're hungry and starving, but that's your fault, not mine. 75% of people in Oklahoma are struggling financially right now. Hmm. This daily grind that we go to work every single day can be gone in the blink of an eye. Everything that we do overwhelms us it's in this moment that the world's peace that's how i'm saying that that the world's peace proves fragile it's unable to withstand the weight of our collective burdens but jesus on the other hand the true prince of peace in the midst of this craziness that we just talked about and our heart is aching in that place his birth fulfills this moment where people are begging for peace. It ushers in a peace that transcends the chaotic narrative of our world. In the thick of our struggles. Jesus brings a peace that defies logic and surpasses all of our understandings. Amen? Amen. It's a peace that emanates from his divine nature, a soothing balm for our weary souls. Just imagine for just a second, what would it look like if Jesus came into our broken world? Imagine him standing amidst the raging storms of our conflicts, extending his hand to calm the tumultuous seas of everything that's going on around us. Imagine his presence in the midst of the social unrest, bringing a unity that transcends worldly divisions in our personal struggles. Imagine Jesus coming in and offering solace and restoration, turning our brokenness into a beautiful tapestry of his grace. But Josh, how do we find peace amongst the chaos? How do we discover this elusive peace that you continuously talk about in the chaotic symphony of our lives? Well, folks, it's a universal challenge. Yet, as we surrender our burdens to Jesus and earnestly embrace his teachings, we unearth a peace that stands resilient in the face of adversity. I want you to picture those that we read about in the Gospels, who. For all intents and purposes, confronted with life storms, being paralyzed, being uh, leper, uh, being having leprosy, being blind, being being a prostitute, being a tax collector—all of those life storms that they were faced with—somehow, some way, they found solace and tranquility through the unwavering faith in Christ. Their stories resonate as a testament to the transformative power of the, that Jesus offers.
1: I want you to consider individuals who, in the midst of their
0: personal turmoil, turned to Jesus as their anchor. I want you to think of those who faced seemingly insurmountable challenges, yet found strength and peace through their unwavering connection with Jesus. These stories, church, are not mere anecdotes. They are living testimonies to the profound peace available to those that seek refuge in the hardest moments of their life. I was talking about it with the eight fifteen service, and I was talking about it with uh, my Sunday school class. I, I I tend to go to those that are dealing with addiction. When you think about celebrate recovery and you think about all of the people that have their lives have changed that the first thing that they do is is they have to allow themselves to be changed by that transformative power of peace through whatever it is in in AA they talk about a higher power They, they don't necessarily have to name it as God in Celebrate Recovery, the focus is in on a God and a Jesus and, and a lifestyle. But in those places, these people are completely changed and they come to the end of it and they are transformed and they are ready to go on and take on the world completely clean and sober. And you know what the part that stinks is? We don't believe it. We can't accept their peace because what comes out of our mouth is, well...
1: You're clean and sober for now. Because we're just so bitter.
0: We're so biased. We can't accept God's shalom. We don't even know what peace looks like, even amongst ourselves. They are true. Testimonies, and it becomes our responsibility that when someone finds themselves in that place and they come out clean and sober and they're trying to build up their lives, it's our responsibility to be there to protect them from everything that goes on in the world that wants to bring them back to a dangerous and scary place. Because it's important that all of us recognize that you don't find shalom in the blink of an eye. You
1: don't get to just say it. It's not just
0: one step. It's many. It's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. When you think about those that have struggled with addiction and they come out on the other end clean and sober, they'll tell you the first day was the hardest once they recognized they had a problem. And from that point on, every day is even harder. It's the same way with our faith. It's exactly the same way with our faith. Advent is a a sacred journey. It's not to merely move through the days. It's to have that moment of self-reflection, genuine repentance, and a deliberate drawing closer to God in these intentional acts. It's in that place that we pave the way for a peace that stems from a profound connection with the one who came to save us, guiding our hearts to a place of profound stillness in his presence. I want you to think of Advent not as a countdown to Christmas, even though we are. I just have a checklist in my office. Okay, this event is done. This event is done. This event is done. And Christmas Day to the 29th? Nothing.
1: This is a pilgrimage that we're all taking together. But it's a journey of the soul. Now, you're asking yourself, as we get closer
0: to the end, because I know everybody's watching their watch, what is the practical way of dealing with this? How can we cultivate and foster this peace in their everyday life? Well, it's, it's going to be, to you, it's going to seem like it's super simple. Well, it's, it is. Acts of kindness. And i'm not just talking about the random here let me buy you a cheeseburger i'm talking about these random acts of kindness that only you can do you have to provide forgiveness to others this is the second part and reconciliation if you can those become tangible expressions in the peace that christ so generously extends to us in the midst of this season's busyness let us not forget however that there's a transformative power of prayer and the rejuvenating effect of spending time with god these (laughs) church are the keys to finding lasting peace in the midst of life's craziness consider the impact of your intentional acts of kindness think of zacchaeus if you get struggled you start to struggle with this No one liked Zacchaeus. They hated his guts. And Jesus goes and says, I'm coming to your house to eat today. And everybody was
1: mad. You're going to that thief's house?
0: How dare you? And after that moment, there was a transformation that took place in Zacchaeus' heart that not only did he pay back what he owed, he paid more. And you can imagine the people on the side of the street saying, What happened to Zacchaeus? I mean, I owed him like $50, and he gave it to me. What is going on? This is what I'm talking about. As we extend grace to one another, we participate in the work of Jesus, bringing healing to the broken spaces around us, to embrace forgiveness as a pathway to peace, releasing the burdens that hinder our hearts. But folks, prayer becomes a powerful tool in our pursuit of peace. As we pour out our hearts and we listen in stillness, we invite the Prince of Peace to dwell within us. I want to encourage you to make time for the intentional moments of quiet reflection. It really does only take 15 minutes a day.
1: And as we come to an end of this moment, I want you
0: to remember the importance of Shalom. Seek the peace that Jesus offers. Share this peace with others, becoming ambassadors of God's peace in a troubled world, as Paul would say. And that may our journey through Advent be a testament to the enduring peace found in Christ. It's in the richness of the biblical concept of peace that we find a profound and transformative truth that Jesus has come to bring completeness, soundness, and well-being into our lives, in the brokenness of our world. Let us turn to the one who offers a peace that surpasses all of our understanding. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you for the promise of peace that surpasses all of our understanding. And as we navigate through the challenges of this Advent season, grant us the peace that comes from you alone. And may we be bearers of this peace to a world indeed. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, we pray. Shalom.